The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you pray with me one more time? And Father, as we come to this time of preaching, as we open up your word, as we study this passage and this story of Noah and his family and the flood, your word is true and your word brings life and we are called to obedience. I pray that this morning as we spend this time that it would be fruitful so that there would be a knowing and understanding of your word, that we would see how it applies to us and impacts us today. And by your spirit that you would work in us in such a way that you would bring us into obedience. Father, thank you for the grace that you have shown to us, for calling us here this morning and giving us of your word. What a gift it is. And now send your spirit to make your word effectual in our lives. We ask this favor in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you would, please. Noah and the flood. I think if if there is any more well-known story of the Bible among kids, I don't know what it would be. I think of even toys that we would get when our children were small and... Often they were depicting Noah and the flood, and it would be, you know, Noah, maybe his wife, a little boat, and lots of animals. And the focus with those toys always seemed to be on all of the animals, all of the animals in the little boat and Noah. But Noah's story is so important for us to understand. It can teach us so much about living today. As we look back at this story, at this history, it anticipates and it unfolds future patterns for us. I want you to be mindful of this as we work through the story this morning What do I mean about future patterns? Well, think about this. When when Jesus was speaking about the last things, about the end times, which Old Testament saint did he draw from as an example? It was Noah. Just as things were in the days of Noah... People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. So also will things be when the last day comes. Think about Peter. 
You can read both of Peter's epistles and come across several references to Noah and to the flood. As Peter looks forward to coming judgment, he gives his readers a look back at the pattern that is found in the time of Noah. In Noah's case, the earth was judged by water, but in the future, it will be judged by fire. Not just one instance in one of Peter's letters, but several instances in both of Peter's letters. He looks back at past lessons from Noah to understand future patterns of judgment and salvation. So the story of Noah and the flood is critically important for us. For us to see and realize the need to respond to God's grace with a faithful obedience. That is what Noah did. He responded to God's grace with a faithful obedience. Despite wickedness all around him, and despite even the sinful nature that was within him, Noah was not a perfect man. He still obeyed God. So I hope you have your seatbelts buckled. Because as you saw from our scripture reading this morning, we have some ground to cover. So we are picking up in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, and there we read, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah was a righteous man. I want to stop there. I want to talk about what this means, that Noah was a righteous man. If there was one label that we could put on Noah, that is what we come up with. That is what God has to say. That is what God has preserved in his word about Noah. He was a righteous man. What does it mean to be a righteous man, to be a righteous person? Righteousness, holiness, the, these ideas, these, these terms are, are linked together. You see, to be a righteous person, it means to live a life that is separate from wrongdoing and evil. To live a life that is in pursuit of God and his holiness. Holiness means separateness, separation. Righteousness, then, is the living out of holiness. This living out according to God's word and God's ways. Even before the Mosaic law was given... There was an understanding of right and wrong, of good and evil, because Noah was a righteous man. He was singled out as one who did right instead of wrong, who did good instead of evil. And his righteousness is through the living out of his faith. 
And we're going to see this developed more as we work through this passage. His righteousness was through the living out of his faith. So righteousness is a living out of a holy life. It is a living out of faith, a life separate from wrongdoing and evil, a life in pursuit of God and his holiness. And I would ask you this morning, have you thought much about a righteous life and what that would mean for you? For Noah, there was all kinds of wrongdoing and evil around him that he needed to be separate from. And every one of us are in different situations, different personalities, different makeup, different temptations, different propensities towards sin. And so what does it mean to be a righteous person? What does it mean in your life to pursue holiness? Now, my hope is that you can answer that for yourself, that you know yourself well enough and that you know God's word well enough and that you are constantly in pursuit of holiness and constantly in this process of sanctification and you have a a target that you are aiming for or you have something in your life that you can say right now, I know that this is where God is at work to make me more holy, to sanctify me more fully. That's my hope for every one of you, that you're mature enough in your faith to say, this is where God is working right now. This is where God is progressing me right now. But I also understand that may not be the case for every single one of us here. A scripture that came to mind for me this morning, just this morning as I was considering this, if you need to put something before you and say, what would righteousness look like? What would the pursuit of holiness look like in my life? Here's a scripture that you could take, you could meditate on, you could make it your aim and your target, and that's Micah 6, 8. God has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So if right now you feel a little bit, maybe this is the wrong analogy to use, like a ship without a rudder, given the fact that we're talking about Noah and the flood. But if you're just not sure about, like, how is God working in my life? Or, or what should I be pursuing in terms of, of holiness? Take Micah 6.8, write it down, put it on an index card, stick it on your pocket, your dashboard, your bathroom mirror, wherever that might be. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. People knew Noah. He had a reputation. He is a man who is upright. He is a man who is blameless. We cannot stick any guilt on Noah. 
Now, most of us are probably familiar enough with this story to know how it goes, and we even read through it this morning. If you're unfamiliar, let me tell you that Noah and his family are saved while all other people are drowned in the flood. And why? The question begs to be asked, why was Noah saved? Because he was righteous? Yes. Yes. But it's important that we also get things in the right order. Noah was a righteous man. God saved Noah and his family. How did Noah turn out to be a righteous man? Well, we've started this morning in Genesis 6 and verse 9, but I want to back you up because this passage wasn't big enough. Let's back up even one verse to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. There we read that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That is the first thing that we are told. God's grace was at work in Noah. And then in verse 9, we read, he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. His righteousness is not the beginning of the story. God's grace is the beginning of the story. And it's so important that we get that, that we put it in that order. If you think about a firecracker or a firework, right? They're spectacular. They're, they're beautiful to look at. But what starts that process of burning so that all of those powders can be ignited and put on such a display? There has to be some sort of initial flame that starts out this whole process. A righteous life being lived is spectacular. It's beautiful. It's glorifying to God. What is that initial start? What is it that begins that process? It's God's grace. God's grace is the initial flame that starts the whole process of righteousness, of blamelessness, and obedience in Noah's life. Do you remember just a little while back we went through Ephesians? And Ephesians chapter 1 Paul says this, even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's God's grace. That's the first thing. God loves, God chooses, God shows grace and it starts this process that we would live holy, righteous, blameless, obedient lives. I don't want us to be misled into thinking that Noah was saved because he was just such a good guy. That he pulled himself up by his own bootstraps, that he cleaned himself up, that he made himself presentable. 
And so God spared him. No, God showed grace to Noah, and that is what made the difference in Noah's life. And he continued to show grace to Noah in sparing him and his family. We'll even see next week, after the account of the flood, that Noah blows it. Noah sins. He was a man who is in need of God's grace through and through, beginning to end. And God was gracious with Noah. So we see, first off, this grace which resulted in Noah living this righteous life in response to God's grace. And then in contrast, in verse 11, we read about everything else. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. No confusion, no question, corrupt, violence, all flesh had corrupted their way. So in contrast to Noah's righteousness, we have this account of the earth's corruption, filled with violence, filled with violence. That means not just half full, that means to the brim, all that it can hold is the state of the earth filled to the fullest with violence. And so God has a plan, and he reveals this plan to Noah in verses 13 through 21. God tells Noah of his plan to destroy the earth. He tells Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And now God gives this instruction to Noah about the ark that he is to build. He gives him dimensions of it. He gives him direction for it. And then in verse 22, we read this. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, we've skipped over reading all of this because we read it here this morning, but I don't want us to miss all that is involved in verse 22 when we read this summary statement that Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. God told him, build an ark. How long? 300 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches, measured roughly from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow. About 18 inches, 300 cubits. That is 450 feet long. If you need to picture that, think of a football field. It is a football field long, plus another half of a football field long. It's a wooden boat that he had to build. Noah, this is what you are to build. I can imagine as Noah is hearing the dimensions, it's overwhelming. 450 feet long? 50 cubits, 75 feet wide? 
45 feet tall? This is massive. What an undertaking. And then I have to gather food as well. And then all of these animals are going to come and they're going to inhabit it. And my family, and we're going to be on this while God is destroying all the inhabitants of the earth. Wow. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. We, I know all of you are aware, as a family, we spent a year building a house. It was 40 feet. It is still 40 feet long. 450 feet long. Our house is 40 feet long. We had power tools, we had pneumatic nailers, we had cranes to lift heavy things, we had digging equipment, we even had modern materials that showed up prepackaged where we would just cut them with an electric saw and put them into place. We didn't have to go find trees and fell them and strip them and shape them, but everything that would have been involved for Noah to build this ark. Just one year for us as a family, and it was exhausting. The ark took 100 to 120 years to build, and Noah didn't have all of the modern materials and the power tools. He didn't even have the support of friends like, like we had and were so thankful for. And additionally, Noah, along with building, along with working, Peter tells us that Noah was preaching. As well as living a life of righteousness, Peter says in his second epistle, chapter 2, verse 5, that he was a herald of righteousness. So as he's there working, as he's there building, he's preaching righteousness to the people that I'm sure were around and mocking. What are you doing, Noah? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen or ever heard of. You're building this gigantic ship. And you say animals are just going to come and are going to fill the ship and there's going to be a great flood? We've never seen anything like that. We've never heard of such a thing. But Noah, despite being mocked and ridiculed, he is preaching righteousness. He worked and he preached day after day doing as God had commanded him. Noah was a man who walked in obedience. This is Noah's righteousness, that he walked in obedience, that God told him something to do, and he did it. The earth, all the other inhabitants in contrast, were corrupt and were violent. This is a great contrast. So we're now seeing that there's a division. There are these two different Channels, these two different paths, we might say. Noah, who was a recipient of God's grace, who is living a life of righteousness, living out faith by obeying God and the earth, 
who disregarded God, the earth and its inhabitants who were corrupt and who were violent. And then as these two paths begin to move forward even further, we see the result of these. And that brings us to seeing Noah's salvation contrasted with the earth's destruction. Noah's salvation contrasted with the earth's destruction. So in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, the time has come, right? 100 to 120 years just passed. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He built this massive ship. He prepared everything and got it ready. Then, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And here we read it again. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. The time's come. The ark is complete. The Lord tells Noah in seven days. You've been working on this for a long time, Noah. Seven days. The flood is going to start. The rain will begin to come down. The waters from the earth are going to rise up. And it's going to be that way for 40 days and 40 nights with this increasing uh, deluge. And every living thing will be blotted out from the earth. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Things happen as God commands. Noah obeys. We see also in verses 9 and 16 of chapter 7 that the animals also obey God's command. Noah didn't have to go and round up the animals. He just had to have the ark ready for them. God brought them to him. And I, I, I want us to see this because as we transition from Noah's righteousness to Noah's salvation, I want you to know that obedience is a vital link there. Obedience is a vital link between his righteousness and his salvation. Noah didn't work for his salvation. He didn't work for his salvation. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is a man who was obedient, and that was the working out of his salvation. This is what God had called him to do, and he was faithful to do just that. And the faith of Noah is seen by the works that he performed. This is what James talks about. It is faith that works. In chapter 2, 
You can write this down. You can look it up later. In verses 18 and verses 20, we we see Abraham ready to offer up his only son, Isaac. We read about Rahab who hid the spies and who sent them out another way safely. Their works demonstrated their faith. Their works demonstrated their faith. And so Noah as well, his work, his obedience to do what God had called him to do was a great demonstration of his faith. The author of Hebrews talks about Noah in chapter 11, verse 7, that great hall of faith chapter. He tells us that Noah was warned by God concerning events yet unseen. So in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. That is the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11. But do you see how also in that is the obedience of Noah? He constructed an ark. That's a a great understatement. Uh, He constructed an ark. It's like putting a Lego set together. This great labor that Noah put in, in obedience to what God had commanded him, and that is a demonstration of his faith. In doing so, the author says, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. An heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was a man of incredible faith. Things yet unseen. There had not been a flood like that. Many scholars think that up to that time, it had not even rained. But he believed what God said. Even though he had not seen these things, even though he couldn't look a hundred years into the future and know this flood is coming. He didn't have to see into the future because God's word had said, this is what will happen. And Noah simply had to obey. A saving faith partners with God. A saving faith partners with God in the strength and in the ability which God supplies. That is, God initiates, God energizes. Our part is to obey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. He initiates, he energizes both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's here's another account that I think helps demonstrate this. This is important, so I want to emphasize it. I want us to get it. In Luke chapter 18, I'm going to turn there, in fact. Luke chapter 18, this rich ruler comes to Jesus. And what does he ask? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. 
And the rich ruler said, all these I have kept from my youth. Done. Check, check, check. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he, when he heard these things, became very sad for he was extremely rich. The ruler said, I've obeyed all of the commands. I've checked all of those boxes. I I think I'm good. One thing that you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Your treasure then will be in heaven. And he went away very sad because he was extremely rich. This rich ruler, he passed up eternal life for some temporary pleasures of wealth. I can have wealth now. I can have the pleasures of life now. Instead of looking forward to eternal treasures, you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This rich ruler, he did not obey what Jesus had commanded him, and he went away very sad. He didn't obey what Jesus had commanded him. He wasn't saved. A saving faith partners with God. A saving faith works in the strength and ability which God supplies, recognizing that God initiates, God energizes, and our part is simply to obey and to do as God has commanded us and called us to do. Noah is a man who demonstrates great faith. He did all that the Lord had commanded him. In chapter 7, verse 16, now here, all the animals, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. This door that Noah was instructed to build, he had built. And now, as they're all inside the ark, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his son's wives, and all of these animals, and now God closes up and shuts him in. He seals that door. This is divine grace. This is sovereign security. If I knew that I had to go through what Noah was going to go through, and I had built that door, and I was relying on my own shutting and sealing of it, I would be terrified. But he could be secure knowing God shut it, God sealed it up, we can wait this out. The Lord shut the door, he sealed it, he kept everything and everyone to be destroyed outside of the ark, and everything and everyone inside the ark safe and secure. This would make for a fascinating community group discussion, so I'll just plant that seed there this morning. We're not going to spend any more time on that. 
But here they are now. Inside the ark, God shuts them in, and the floods come. Verses 17 through 20, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. Waters increased, bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Waters prevailed, increased greatly. So they're floating over the tops of mountains. This is a global flood. It is not just something local, but this is worldwide. The ark is floating above the highest mountain peaks. And for 40 days and 40 nights, this water is just continuing to grow and to increase. And in verse 21, we read that God's intention was accomplished. This is a horrible verse. All flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. All flesh died. Everything on dry land with the breath of life died. God blotted out every living thing from the face of the ground. Only Noah and those in the ark were saved. God accomplishes what he said he would do. God is working toward a new start. Man had corrupted the earth to such an extent that it was time for a new beginning. God grieved over what had taken place and said, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'm going to start over again with Noah and his family. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 8, responding to God's grace in obedient faith brings a new beginning. Responding to God's grace in obedient faith brings about this new beginning. Chapter 8, verse 1, God remembered Noah and all the livestock, all the beasts that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. God had not forgotten Noah. There wasn't something to trigger, oh yeah, I need to do something. I remember now Noah. No, he had never forgotten, but now this is God acting. It is him demonstrating the fulfillment of his plan toward Noah and his family. And this long and slow process of the waters receding and finally the earth drying out. And that's what we have in chapter 8, verses 2 through 14. And if you think that it was just a 40-day boat ride, you're wrong. In chapter 7, verse 11, it was the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month. It was on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. 600th year, 
Second month, 17th day. And then we read in chapter 8, verse 14, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, this is the 601st year, if you look back at verse 13, 601st year, the second month, 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Over one year that they're floating and waiting for the waters to recede and for the earth to dry out. And now God speaks once again. Verse 15, God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Instruction given, go out from the earth, be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out. Noah obeys. He does what God commands him. And once again, he does so. He went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. This is a new beginning. Everything that had been on the earth was wiped out and now they come out of the ark to start over again. This man, Noah, and his family, and the animals that had been preserved with them on the ark are to go out and now begin to multiply and fill the earth. And as I said in our opening this morning, the story of Noah is so important because it shows us patterns of salvation and judgment. If you would, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to end our time this morning seeing the final display of this pattern of salvation and judgment. 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 3, we read, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's referring back to the great flood in the time of Noah. Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is future. This is looking forward. Scoffers will come. Things are continuing like they always have. But Peter says, no, don't forget the great flood. 
Don't forget to look back and see what God has done and to see in that patterns of salvation and judgment. By God's word, the waters came. And by God's word, the final judgment will come, but it won't be through water, but by fire. In verse 11, this fire, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Seeing this pattern in the story of Noah and knowing it will come through fire in the future, this should invigorate us to live lives of holiness, to live lives of godliness as we wait for new heavens and a new earth. This is our hope, church. This new heaven, new earth where we will be with God forever. So I ask this morning, are you righteous? Have you been made righteous by faith as Noah was? Through the blood of Christ shed for your sins, that is the only way to righteousness is through the blood of Christ. Are you righteous in practice, working out your faith in obedience to God's commands? Though imperfect, trusting in Jesus and pursuing holiness and godliness. History is not revolving, it is not circular, it is lineal. Linear, God has a plan. God is carrying out his plan of redemption, bringing it toward an end. He is working out and accomplishing that and will bring it to its final completion in the day of Christ when Jesus returns as conquering king. And maybe you've come to realize, and as I know I have, in this last year, life can radically and drastically change. To not say things will just continue on as they always have. Things can change, and things can change quickly. And so don't assume tomorrow. And don't be ignorant of God's future plan. But be diligent today. As Noah was faithful every day to walk in faithful obedience to God's grace. Would you pray with me again? Father, we thank you for the example of Noah. Not a perfect man, and I know that we will see that next week, but a man who pursued you and who pursued righteousness who did his best to obey you and the words that you had given to him and the commandments that you had spoken. I thank you for Noah and the example that he serves for us. And I thank you for Jesus because we know that it is only by Jesus that we can be righteous 
The way that we have been made righteous is the same way that Noah was made righteous. Noah looked forward to redemption through Christ. We look back to the work of redemption that Christ accomplished on the cross. But whether from back or front, we both look to Christ and rely on him. Christ is not just a good example for us, but he is our savior. He is the one who shed his blood for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He is the one that has sent the spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And Father God, I do pray that you would send afresh your spirit to us to energize us, to invigorate us, to compel us to live lives of righteousness, of blamelessness, of obedience, and that it would not be to try and earn your favor, but it would be in response to your grace because you have done so much and you have been so kind to us. I pray that your grace would just melt our hard hearts. That we would see your love for us. And we would respond in loving and faithful obedience. Again, Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the story of Noah and the flood. Thank you for your grace that spared Noah. Thank you for your grace that has spared us from judgment. Help us to live in the light of that salvation, bringing glory to you. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.